3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is the 12th of May, and it is uh, just about to hit 7.01 in the morning in 3, 2, no, I counted it wrong. Anyway, Inez, good morning. Good morning. And uh, Leela's here as well, our little silent partner in the studio. Good morning, Leela. Um, it is so good to have you with us again this morning. Surprisingly warm, actually, today, compared to the last few days. Um, I was not ready for the, the under 10 degree uh, mornings. Is anyone ever ready for that? I don't think so. <laughs> um, every year I'm like, should I get a wool blanket? I should invest in a wool blanket. And then I look at the price of wool blankets and I'm like, mm. Yeah, no. what if you rode down the street with an electric blanket over you? Would that be good? I would just catch fire. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, so we have a, a big show for you as usual. Um, so first up, we're going to be hearing from Chloe and Jacob, who spoke with Joey, who's one of the detainees at MITRE, about Section 501 of the Migration Act, which allows the government visa cancellation powers and the way that this present government is using these powers. And they spoke with Joey on the 6th of May. So this is a replay from that segment. Um, and then we'll be joined by Elise Almond, who is a lawyer at Villamanta Disability Rights Legal Service, a statewide service that represents disabled people, and this includes providing assistance with NDIS appeals to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. And she joins us today to speak about the large spike in NDIS participants who have had their funding slashed, often without warning, in recent months, and many of them have taken their cases to the tribunal. And um, after that, we're going to hear some audio recorded by Solidarity Breakfast's Annie McLaughlin, who joined uh, workers from the ASU and MWU outside Brunswick Town Hall on Sydney Road at the Moreland Council strike rally on Wednesday, the 4th of May. So like many workplaces across Australia that have been given an offer below the inflation level in their latest EBA negotiation, ASU and MWU, you members at the Moreland Council down tools on Wednesday the 4th for uh, to rally for decent wages and conditions. And then we'll be joined by Alec Ferguson, who is a Lebanese-Australian socialist activist at Melbourne University, who is involved in Students for Palestine and the Free Palestine Movement. Alec joins us to discuss the recent BDS motion passed by the University of Melbourne Student Union. Yeah, and that's really timely, um, you know, with Nakba Day coming up on the 15th. I believe that, is that Saturday? I believe so. Saturday. Um, and, yeah, we'll play some information about that Nakba vigil now. Join Free Palestine Melbourne in remembering the Nakba at a vigil at the State Library at 12 midday on Sunday the 15th of May. Nakba means catastrophe in Arabic and commemorates the displacement and ethnic cleansing of more than 700,000 Palestinians from their homes to create the State of Israel in 1948. 
The Nakba continues with refugees from 1948 still living in refugee camps and more Palestinians being displaced as Israeli settlements continue to be built on stolen Palestinian land. The event will include naming and acknowledging many of the towns and villages destroyed by Israel. Nakba Day Ritual, midday, Sunday, the 15th of May, on the steps of the State Library of Victoria. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we're about to go into the news headlines. So, Inez, would you like to kick us off? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So these are the news headlines for Thursday the 12th of May. A veteran Al Jazeera journalist, Shireen Abu Akbar, has been shot dead by Israeli occupational forces while covering a raid on a Janine refugee camp in the occupied West Bank. Al Jazeera released a statement saying Ms. Akla's murder violates international laws and calls on the international community to hold Israeli forces accountable for the international targeting and killing of the Palestinian journalist. Shireen Abu Akla's death comes ahead of the yearly commemoration of Al-Nakba, the day Israel was officially recognized as a state and a day of grieving and protest for Palestinians. In other news, parents of eight-year-old Amrita Lanka, who died 21 hours after presenting at the Monash Children's Hospital with stomach pains and a fever, said their concerns were dismissed by hospital staff. Amrita's parents alerted hospital staff five times of their daughter's breathing difficulties, but it took six hours for staff to conduct further testing, and three hours later Amrita was in a critical condition. Monash Health is launching an internal investigation and the case has been referred to Safer Care Victoria and the Victorian Coroner. Also in headlines this week, ahead of the federal election, First Nations communities around Australia continue to call for an urgent boost in federal funding for First Nations housing. In the face of a crippling housing crisis exacerbated by the pandemic and catastrophic flood events, the Morrison government cancelled all dedicated funding for remote housing from next year. Advocacy groups are rallying for federal support for at least 8,500 new co-designed, culturally appropriate and climate resilient homes over the next four years to tackle major overcrowding and homelessness experienced by many First Nations people. And finally in these headlines, First Nations custodians of sea country, an area stretching across parts of the Great Barrier Reef, are celebrating this week following a major agreement that gives the Dharambal people more control over management of their country. Daramal custodian Malcolm Mann says the traditional use of marine resources activities agreement is essential in order to tackle the impacts of climate change on the reef and to enable recovery from intensive land use that has changed the nearby creeks and rivers. This year, the United Nations will consider whether the Great Barrier Reef should be classified as in danger due to escalating impacts of, impact, uh, of climate change, something the Daramal custodians say they have, been, they have recognized for a long time. These have been the news headlines for Thursday the 12th of May. You're listening to 3CR. Thank you so much, Inez and Leila. I just wanted to... um just wanted to add on to that for that first headline, um, you know, rest in peace, Shireen Abu Akla. It's, um, it's really, you know, horrifying as, as, you know, we're community media producers, but media producers nonetheless. And she was killed while doing her job as a journalist, wearing her press vest. Um, there's also been some, uh, let's say, guarded reporting about this from various outlets mm-hmm. uh, who 
kind of if you use passive language about this, so really important to, I guess, keep an eye on, uh, you know, your media literacy, reading these things and um, making sure that, you know, you support Palestinians who are organizing actions. Um, there, there are some actions, I think, I mean, the first one that I've seen is, is in London um, where people are organizing uh, a vigil for Shireen Abu Akla, but really just an absolute tragedy and, um, you know, something that the Nakba Day vigil this weekend is also going to be sort of taking into account this long durée of, um, of Israeli occupation. PX Fano is a Pacifica LGBTIQ plus podcast providing a platform for Pacifica communities to unpack and discuss the narratives and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Presented by Pacific X, a collective that celebrates Pacific Island LGBTIQ plus communities through meaningful connections that honours cultural and gender identities. You can catch the podcast series every Sunday during Out of the Pan at around 12.30pm or on your favourite podcast platform. Supported by 3CR and funded by the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Programme. For more information, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash out of the pan. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And remember, you can always stream live at www.3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And you can listen back to our episodes on demand at 3cr.org.au forward slash Thursday dash breakfast. So if you miss anything that you're going to be hearing today, um, you can listen back there. And also to all of our previous shows, we podcast them every week. Uh, now we're going to go to an interview with Joey, who's one of the detainees in MITRE, by Chloe and Jacob from 3CR, who spoke with Joey about Section 501 of the Migration Act, which allows the government visa cancellation powers. And then they talk about the way that this present government has been using these powers. Our next interview is with Joey Tangaloa uh, Tuwali. Joey is one of the people detained currently in the detention centre in Broadmeadows um, in MITRE, the Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation, been unjustly detained under Section 501 of the Immigration Act and has been one of the people who has been resisting from the inside and has been speaking out via phone to us at the protest. Thank you for joining us on the show, Joey. Yeah, Chloe, thank you for having me. And uh, you know, I want to thank God for this opportunity. Thank you very much. Uh, Joey, can you please just maybe start off by telling us a bit about you, like um, where were you born and, um, you know, the fact that you've lived in Australia since you were a, a baby? Yeah, so basically um, uh, we came here in 1975. I was born in Tonga. Uh, we came here, uh, I was about three months old, both parents. Uh, I had an older sister and two older brothers. Um, and we came here in 1975. Uh, pretty much been here for my whole life. Um, went to primary school, grew up in Ringwood, went to kinder here, primary school, high school in Ringwood. Um, you know, later on moved to the western suburbs, but um, pretty much very Australian. We grew up very Aussie. Um, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, like, uh, parents been in the same house for 40-plus years, um, Dad's buried here. Grandma's buried here. I have a daughter buried here. 
I have 11 children uh, living, uh, two grandchildren, uh, one granddaughter, I mean, sorry, um, and one grandchild on the way. But the situation is that I've been deemed bad character. So uh, that's that legislation 501. Thanks for that, Joey. There was a blockade that happened on Tuesday where protesters blocked a few of the gates of MITRE to prevent people from being deported. So some of us were there on the ground and we've, we covered, we've been covering this. Can you tell us about this and have you been in touch with some of the people, some of the refugees and other detainees who have been deported? And, of course, there's also some who are being returned to Christmas Island. Yes. So uh, thank you, Jacob. What, what, what's, ha- what's happened, Jacob, is that on the Tuesday morning, they come around and they, uh, the ERT, when I say they come around, I'm talking about ERT and Circo uh, guards um, who are pretty much uh, contracted out under, from the government which, and uh, Australian Border Force. Um, and what they do when they come around, they come down very intimidating, the way they tell you to pack your things, wake you up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, and there's, they're roughly sometimes 30 to 40 guards. And what I found out is that they didn't tell anyone where they were going, but word got out that they were getting deport, uh, getting sent to Christmas Island. Um, obviously, it got out there to the public, and that's where you guys, one of the guys, um, you beautiful people, came out and protested and supported the cause, uh, trying to stop these buses from leaving. What I do know is there was two altercations where people were hurt here. Someone was taken to hospital. Um where uh, I believe the guards had bashed one of the detainees here pretty bad. Um, also, uh, people were hurt out the front, being pepper sprayed by the police, all those sort of things. And um, eventually the buses did get out uh, at about half past five. Um, you know, obviously the police come and, and broke everything up and they got the buses out. People were then sent from here to... They went to the airport. The airport, they went to um, Yonga Hill, which is in WA, and then they picked up some more people. So the plane came from, began in Baita, which is in Brisbane, came down to uh, New South Wales and picked up people from Villawood, then to Melbourne, Maita, Maita to Yonga Hill, Yonga Hill, then they went on to uh, Christmas Island. Um, and I have spoke to some of them guys in Christmas Island, and um, they are going through. Uh, they're very torn apart. They're down. They're broken. These guys are broken. They can't believe this has happened. They've been dumped over there in units that are burnt. Um, these units, obviously, there's been riots there um, throughout the year, um, and and also last year. And, and and these units that are burnt, they're pretty much just thrown in a mattress, and said, "There you go, work it out." So this is. This is what's going on here. People, please um, wake up and, and see what this government's doing to people. I mean, at the end of the day, 501s went to prison. We've done our time. And 99% of 501s have been here for many years, um, growing up here and, and pretty much, you know, Australia, Australia raised us. Yeah, thank... Um, oh, sorry. I'll let you go yeah, on, go on, Joe. Go on. Joe. Sorry. <laughs> I interrupted you. Was there something else you wanted to say on, on yeah, the Yeah, I just blockade? wanted to thank thank all those people that came out. And what, what we need, Chloe, is more people to come out and support this. Um, and this is not just for 501s. There are refugees here, Chloe, mm. that have been here for five years, seven years, ten years, 
Um, I think there's a couple that have been here 12 years, you know. So um, it's very, very important. Um, and I didn't realise this, Chloe, till I came here, what Australia, this, this Australian government, is doing to people. Yeah. So. Yeah, you were saying that at the time of your detention, you didn't, you didn't actually realise that you weren't a citizen because a lot of your siblings are citizens. Um, and so it was a bit of a surprise to you that the detention centre existed. A lot of people don't know about about these things. Um, that's why it's so important to to hear your voice and, and to get the word out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people don't know what goes on here. I mean, um, after doing your time, uh, you get sent here. And this place, I want to remind people, this place is worse than prison. Uh, you come here, you, there, there's so many issues with this place. First of all, living conditions is appalling. Um, you're put into a double cell. Uh, in prison, they give you a single cell. Here, you're put into a double cell. So if you're feeling unwell and you're not right, I mean, you've got to tolerate living with someone else. And in some cases, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people end up turning on each other. But... Um, one of the biggest things here is uh, food. Um, the people that cook food here, they cook it for themselves. It's what they want. It's what, um, but, yeah, like I say, the food here very distasteful. We, we were treated better in prison, um, you know, than we are here. And um, even in regards to uh, mental health issues, there's been cases where people have tried to commit suicide in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I've watched the guards and I've seen them go up and, Detainees go up and talk to the guards, say, I need to speak to someone. I'm going through some problems. And they pretty much just say, look, fill out a form. Um, and when the time comes, um, we'll call you up. Now, that individual, they need the help there and then. Yeah. Um, and in the end, they, they try and uh, you know, hang themselves. Uh, people have slashed up many times. Uh, these are the sort of things that you go through here. Um and this, uh, and this training is pretty much designed to break you down. Uh, also, the treatment from guards. Uh, we're treated like we're aliens. Uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of things that go on, um, especially in regards to... Um, there's a point system here where you're given $35 a week. Mm-hmm. Then you have to work for the extra $25 to get the maximum $60. Now, what happens sometimes is you don't find out until you go to the canteen and they, they tell you, oh, your points are short. So some of these people that run these activities where you get $2 for an activity, they play God with the, the $2. Um, and also just things we ask for here, depending on which manager you get, again, managers play God with a lot of things. Um, but especially there's been cases with food, uh, where, where there's glass found... Um, in certain things, uh, soap found in desserts, um, even in some cases there was maggots found, all those sort of things, all those sort of things that go on here that people don't know about. Yeah, well, we appreciate you, um, you know, letting us know all that. It, it sounds appalling. And, and of course, um, we also have to remember the, the fact that you have no parole rights in indefinite detention. Um, you, you know, you were telling me that when you finished your sentence or when you were about to start your sentence, someone said, oh, you know, if you had a visa, you'd be going home today. Um, and, of course, some have finished their sentence or some some people haven't even been convicted or charged of a crime and yet they're thrown into detention 
because the immigration minister has has those godlike powers to judge you based on you know you know whether or not they like you based on your history um so there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that's um uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a human rights disaster, really. Um, and and yeah. I, I know that you're in solidarity with with the refugees as well that are there with you. Um, and you would, uh, how many people are in Maita, Joey? Look, uh, from what I from what I've been uh, told, there's roughly 250, mm-hmm. um, somewhere between 200 to 250. Um, but absolutely, we're we're in solidarity with the refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, I've filmed. Uh, I've done a few short little interviews myself with some of the refugees. And, look, some of them have been here for many years, you know, nine years, seven years, ten years. Mm. Uh, I don't get it. I mean, the the refugees come here to Australia seeking help, and this is what a government does. It says, oh, okay, we'll help you. We'll put you in detention for seven years, nine years, ten years. And you can sit in there, and when we're ready to uh, release you, depending on elections coming up and whatnot, uh, they decide to let them out, uh, and not all of them. You know, it's 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 absolutely appalling behaviour, um, especially coming from a, a so-called democratic country uh, government. Um, I don't know what else to say about it, but uh, the refugees—they've never done anything wrong. Come here looking for help, and this is the this is the help that they're given. You know, and um, yeah, it's for something like this to happen in this day and age. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's um, definitely unbelievable, Joey. And this is obviously not the first time that the Australian government has deported people after holding them um, hostage for a long time in detention. You know, can you tell us a bit about what has happened to people who have been deported in in the past? So what I know for sure is that um, many people that are deported have no support whatsoever in whatever countries they go, they're going to, you know, um, but especially New Zealand. Um, there's so many deports that have gone to New Zealand. There's been suicides. Um, many people have gone and just ended up taking their own lives, unfortunately, because there's just been no family there, no support. Um, people have turned to drugs and alcohol. Um, I know that some females that I've spoken to have turned to prostitution. Uh, you know, all these sort of things. Um, you know, people have just gone back to a, a life of crime. Uh, there's broken men, broken women. Um, because what they've done is they've given us a life and in some cases, death sentence. Also, I do know of a story that has been told to me that six Africans had signed to go back to their country after being here for so many years. Now, after three months of being deported to the countries uh, where they were born, they were all murdered. Now, this, this government has blood on their hands in many... I mean, yeah, some of this stuff is just is unheard of, you know, these sort of things. And how this government can, you know, can, can get on TV and think that everything's good and, you know, life's all rosy while this sort of thing is happening in their own backyard, what they're doing to people, and at the same time talking about China with the Uyghur issue, talking about North Korea suppressing its own people, Australia, this Australian government is doing the exact same thing. Um, yeah, uh, Joey, thank you. We, we, we've heard you calling out the hypocrisy of this federal government. Um, 
for criticizing other countries' human rights abuses during rally speeches. So, you know, we, you know, we appreciate that. Um, but we, um, we are going to wrap up this interview soon. So, you know, did you have any last, any last comments that you'd like to look for our listeners to know? It's just that if you are a permanent resident, please check your, what, what your status is. If you are a permanent resident visa, uh, that's what you hold, a permanent resident visa, you are more than likely over, it could be an argument with your, your partner, or it could be an, a car accident. It could be just something small. It could, you know, you, they're more than likely you're going to end up here. And then even on a website, uh, on a 501 website, it says that the government has targeted people. They've got some database which is targeting uh, permanent residents to see their background. And, uh, and I just want to remind people that this legislation was brought out, uh, renewed in 2014 for terrorists, and now they've tarnished it. You know, it's, it's a whole broad uh, thing. It's, you know, let's grab these people, grab those people, um, you know, 501s, 116s. But um, please, people, um, you know, wake up and see what's happening here. This, there's a big injustice. This is one of the biggest um, human rights breaches ever. And thank you very much to you all for listening and thank you for having me on, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us um, today, Joey, and, and for telling us about your inhumane treatment and, and the treatment of hundreds of others. And we will continue to show solidarity to you and, and others held in my turn, hopefully shut it down soon. Um, hopefully we can stop some deportations. But you know, we do encourage people to join the protests outside MITRE and Please not forget about the people being held there, refugees and the people under 501 of the Immigration Act. Thanks again, Joey, and, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. You've just had an interview with uh, Chloe and Jacob, who speak with Joey, one of the detainees at MITA, about Section 501 of the Migration Act, which allows government visa cancellation powers and um, how this present government is actually using these powers. And now we are going to go to Return Home by Bumpy.
Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. is a not-for-profit organization providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family, and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation, and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. Join Free Palestine Melbourne in remembering the Nakba at a vigil at the State Library at 12 midday on Sunday the 15th of May. Nakba means catastrophe in Arabic and commemorates the displacement and ethnic cleansing of more than 700,000 Palestinians from their homes to create the State of Israel in 1948. The Nakba continues with refugees from 1948 still living in refugee camps and more Palestinians being displaced as Israeli settlements continue to be built on stolen Palestinian land. The event will include naming and acknowledging many of the towns and villages destroyed by Israel. Nakba Day Vigil, midday, Sunday, the 15th of May, on the steps of the State Library of Victoria. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Tune in to Stick Together, all about workers' rights and social justice. 8.30am Wednesday, 7am Saturday. Or listen on demand on 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. Accent women. That seems so 
obvious to me that if you live in a in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the. How the can country? people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there, and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. And now we are joined by Elise Almond, a lawyer at Villamanta Disability Rights Legal Service, which is a statewide service that represents disabled people. This includes providing assistance with NDIS appeals to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Elise. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Well, thanks so much for joining us here today. Um, no worries. Yeah, so... I just want to uh, start off by saying that uh, I know that a lot of disability advocates and legal services have been saying there is a large spike in the number of NDIS participants um, who have actually had their funding slashed in recent months and many have taken their cases to the tribunal. And I know The Guardian reported there has been actually a 400% increase in appeals that are actually going to the tribunal. So would you mind speaking on maybe why NDIS participants actually appeal to the tribunal and why do you think there's been such an increase in appeals recently? Yeah, no problem. So how it works is essentially an NDIS plan is reviewed every 12 months, 6 months, 2 years, whatever the plan period is. Uh, when it expires, when it's time to be reviewed, the planner looks at the plan, speaks with the participant, looks at all the services in the plan and makes a decision about what is going to be in the next plan. Mm -hmm. If the plan comes back and the participant's like, I used to have 20 hours of OT, now I've got two, this isn't right, they can then ask the NDIA to have a look at the plan, so internally review the plan. Hopefully, they'll get the result they want through that process. If not, the next step is then externally reviewing to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, the AAT, which is an external body that has jurisdiction to overturn any decisions. So the appeals of the AAT can be about the supports in the plan or it can then 
be about access to the scheme in itself. So if you've applied to get NDIS supports and they say, no, you don't meet their disability criteria, you can appeal that decision as well. Um, there's a lot of different theories going around about why there has been such an increase. Um, we've certainly felt it on the ground for sure. Um, there's been some people saying that they believe there has been a, a direct um, instruction within the NDIA to cut plans as much as possible. The NDIA have strongly denied this. Um, but you could also say that COVID has played a part. Um, it has made it difficult because when you get to the planning stage, you look at the supports and you, the planner will say, okay, well, you've had 20 hours of OT in your plan. You haven't used any of it. Therefore, sure, you don't need it. So let's cut the OT. Where, as we all know, during lockdown, you couldn't go out. You couldn't go out to therapies that were deemed non-essential. You couldn't go out with your support work or to all these places. So supports that may very well be 100% essential to these participants simply couldn't be used, so therefore were cut and and no longer available now that we are out of lockdown and these people are stuck without their therapies and without their support workers to take them out of the house. So that has certainly caused issues for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, a lot of the current rhetoric in societies, we've made society more accessible with remote learning and I guess part of that maybe is true but there's yeah as you said disabled people people with disability have had like a lot of their services cut off um and have been really impacted by the ongoing lockdowns and you know having to self-lockdown as well and i feel like it's a bit of a contradiction during this time to be like everything's better now when really it's Mm. maybe also gotten (laughs) a bit worse and i know um in the recent ABC article in April, uh, one case actually at Villabanta where someone had had their funding cut by 93% without any warning. And also from what I've read is that, you know, the tribunal appeals now take four to five months to be heard when they used to take around six to eight weeks. And on top of that, people who the tribunal have actually ruled in favour of still did not have their revised plan months later. So... I guess what effects are you seeing on participants who are experiencing, you know, this horrendously poor communication and exaggerated wait times? Mm. Well, yeah, all of that is true. Um, we're, we're seeing very, very distressed people, unfortunately. We're getting yeah. calls with people who are sobbing, essentially. I don't know what I can do. I need these supports in my plan yeah. now. I can't wait months and months and months. And the wait times have completely blown out with the number of applications. It used to be you make your application to the AAT. Yeah, in about six weeks, you, you might have your first case conference. Now it is four or five months, and that's only the first case conference. There can be multiple case conferences, months in between. Um, you can be at the AAT for two years without getting a result, which is, of course, very distressing. Any extra delay is distressing. Yeah. Going through the process itself is not a pleasant thing for anybody to be a part of. And one of the consequences of these delays is that, say, you go to your planning meeting, you've got all your support, or you've got all your reports supporting, say, from your OT, supporting that you need an increase in hours or you need to stay the same hours, whatever that may be. You go through the internal review, you go to the AAT, 
You get there and the NDIA now say, well, this report's nine months old, so we need a whole brand new report because it doesn't show, reflect your current needs. And you think, well, it's not my fault that these delays have taken so long that the report is now old. So then you're seeing participants having to use more of their NDIS funding to pay for extra reports and that funding for reports is then taken away from the funding from the actual therapy that they need. So there's a lot of ways that um, people are losing, essentially, with having to go through this process. Yeah, I didn't realise that um, if, like, to go to these meetings and do these reports, that it actually is from, is that from your NDIS funding as well? Yes, absolutely. There is a figure that the therapists usually put in for report writing. They have to give... Um, updated reports, that's just a part of the NDIS um, to allow them to consider, keep reviewing the participants' needs. Um, But, yeah, anything additional has to come out of their plan. Yeah, I guess there's also, like, how do you regulate how much that is and if that's fair or, uh, yeah, I feel like it it puts people in a really vulnerable decision and I know that a lot of the time um, everything is promised about you know choice and control choice and control but if people uh, don't have the the tools or the support to actually make those decisions or inform themselves or you know have support because a lot of um a lot of people do rely on each other and everything is not also about autonomy and i feel like um being able to <laughs> um get support from each other about you know what is actually happening i feel like Sorry, I feel like maybe I'm losing my train of thought, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's important to you know not um, yeah not remain isolated as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, that's very important, and especially after we've gone through um, this very long lockdown, um, where a lot of people did feel very isolated throughout that period. Um, it's important that everyone does feel like they're a part of society and that they are supported to be a valuable and respected part of society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also know, uh, funnily enough, uh, going back to, like, the NDIA, and the NDIA uh, is the agency that's actually tasked with rolling out the NDIS. Um, they've actually spent, I think, upwards of $22 million, Donald's, McDonald's, <laughs> $22 million <laughs> um, on external legal costs, uh, which is ridiculous when funding has been cut for thousands of participants. And additionally while the NDIA was spending so much money on law firm fees fighting all of these lawsuits. Um, community law centres, I'm sure, as you can attest to, say they are at capacity and they're struggling to take on new clients. Um, <laughs> how do you think that services such as Willamanta have been affected during this time? Yeah, it's been really, really hard. We've had to completely close our books for a number of months now, wow. and it's it's awful. People who are in our highest priority group that any other time would be an automatic, yes, we have to help this person, we're just having to turn away, and these are people with intellectual disabilities that have no informal support, so no family, no friends, and they're completely overwhelmed by the process. They don't, they have no idea what they're meant to do if they get a big long email from the NDAA's corporate lawyer, but we're just having to say, 
we simply can't do it, which is heartbreaking. It's awful for everybody. And we're certainly not alone. The bulk of the AAT appeal assistance work is done by advocates in Victoria, Mm -hmm. um, and we have um, meetings to discuss updates, any tips, any issues we're all having, and everyone has been saying the same thing for months, that they're just at capacity and it's really, really hard. And even, say, the the lucky participants that we can help, that we do have capacity, that they call us at the right times where we are able to take it on, even we are completely, um, I I guess what's the word, Um, we're up against, if we go to hearing, it'll be one Bill Amanta lawyer and say, 11 people from the NDAA representing or assisting their client. So even the lucky ones that do have formal assistance are still completely outgunned. And that's not to say that we don't get great results and are successful. It's just really, really hard. Um, And we certainly do see that the number (laughs) that the NDAA is spending on legal fees is frankly ridiculous. And, you might be fighting over say a thousand dollars all up, and the matter will go for, as I said, two years, paying the biggest legal fees in Australia, having barristers go to hearing for their NDIA. It, it simply does not make sense if they're coming at it from a cost viewpoint. Yeah, I feel like that's really overwhelming for legal centres as well, um, and I feel like there's a lot of growing focus around is the NDIS sustainable. Um, is it growing faster than expected? And, like, I know the roots of it is, like, a social insurance scheme, but to base it on, like, insurance principles, investment principles, neoliberal principles, as opposed to understanding that these are this is a lifelong support that people need, and you shouldn't be fighting with the organisation that is supposed to be tasked with rolling this out. Um, and, yeah... I, it, it, it is really heartbreaking to, to hear that. And I guess also with the notion of, like, the NDIS being sustainable, and I, I know recently it's also been a big election issue. Um, I know that a spokesperson for the NDIS minister, Linda Reynolds, said that the increase in AAT applicants reflected a combination of more participants and the scheme maturing. Um, but I, I guess I also want to ask, how do you think that we can actually defend the... NDAS, as I've said, like not just as like this neoliberal insurance scheme or a blow to the budget of people, as we'd say, but as a vital support to participants. Hmm. Well, I think there are two different aspects um, when it comes to the NDAS. One is obviously you can view the NDAS in human rights perspective of if these are human beings in Australia um, and really the budget is a matter of prioritising where the money should go. So if, if you're viewing NDIS um, as a higher priority because you believe, well, people should have the right to um, access essential therapies, they should have the right to have a wheelchair, to be able to leave their home or to be able to have a support worker to come in and help them get dressed, help them cook so they don't just waste away in their homes, mm-hmm. that in itself you would think that would be a high priority and the government would find the money, money to fully fund it. Yeah. But on the other side of things, NDIS is actually big business in and of itself. The heaps of support providers, the heaps of support workers out there mm-hmm. who are contributing to the economy, 
during COVID, NDIS actually had a really big role to play in the economy when so many um, businesses, services, people couldn't work. Those who were deemed essential services, so if you had someone with a severe physical disability or intellectual disability that they simply couldn't get out of bed without a support worker coming in or cooking them food, that business kept going all through lockdown. Without that, we would have struggled a lot more. So it's it's not it's just simply not correct to view the NDIS as just a handout. It is actually giving back to the Australian economy in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. And knowing that um, people are getting the support they need, not just to be, you know, um, I don't know, <laughs> like workers or get back into education or like it's it's completely fair if people want those things. But it's just about knowing that people are allowed to exist <laughs> and they're allowed to be supported in mm. whatever goals that they they have and they don't need to, um, I guess, be little <laughs> capitalist robots in order to be important members of society because I think they are just in the notion of them existing and it is a society that disables and um, yeah I think that's it, it's really disappointing that the tribunal process has taken this mm-hmm. long people on two years people uh, I'm sure have experienced a lot of loss during that time um, but I yeah I just mm-hmm. wanted to thank you know thank you for coming on the show today and all the work that uh, Villa Mantra is doing and I'm sure that you're probably overwhelmed, so I know that. I uh, hope you get some rest today as well. Before oh, we go, thank you. That's okay. Uh, before we go, is there anything else that you would like to 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 highlight for our listeners, or any actions to take at all? Well, I think the election has really put the spotlight on the NDIS now more than ever, mm-hmm. which is really great. And um, I I would encourage anybody. Um, to make it known to your local candidates that the NDIS and how they planned um, to take the NDIS into the future and how they plan to support participants um, is something that you are taking into consideration when you do go to the polls. Um, there is an NDIS rally happening next Thursday in the Melbourne CBD. It's organised by Every Australian Counts. I'll be there with a few of my colleagues um, and we're really hoping to get a strong showing of support for the NDIS um, just before the election. So if you're free, come on down. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll put that in our show notes. Well, you have a good day. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Perfect. Thank you. No worries. Bye. Bye. You just heard an interview with Elise Almond, who is a lawyer at Villamanta Disability Service, and they spoke about the large spike in participants taking their cases to the AAT. Yes, and we will have further information about that rally in our show notes, but you can also head to the social media accounts of Every Australian Counts. They are on Twitter and also on Facebook, and there's a lot of information there about the excellent work that they're doing, you know, disability-led, disability justice work to try and reorient the NDIS to be a scheme that is led by and, uh, you know, serves disabled folks rather than being this cost-benefit analysis that clearly isn't even taking into account the massive costs that are being poured into litigation to prevent people from accessing appropriate plans. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and we're going to go into a bit of audio uh, recorded by our very own Solidarity Breakfast's Annie McLaughlin, 
who joined workers outside the Brunswick Town Hall on Sydney Road. And these are workers from the ASU and MWU who are members at the Moreland Council. And they downed tools on Wednesday, the 4th of May, to rally for decent wages and conditions because, like many workplaces across Australia, that have been given an offer below the inflation level in their latest EBA negotiation, workers at Moreland Council have had enough. We're outside Brunswick Town Hall in Moreland and uh, local ASU members are concerned about the intractable negotiations for a better deal. G'day. I'm Lisa Darman, the Branch Secretary of the ASU and our members here at Moreland City Council of uh, on strike today. Um, to fight for a better deal in their enterprise agreement. Workers here haven't had a pay rise for two years and negotiations stalled about six months ago and our members have had enough. The wage offer is currently 2%, which is, um, you know, well well low, lower than uh, the cost of living at the moment. And it's a wages we, cut. It's absolutely a wages cut. And so our members are pretty angry about that. Um, you know, during the last two years, Workers at City of Moreland, along with our members across all councils in Victoria, have really stepped up to look after the community during the pandemic. When everyone, you know, was working from home, our members were still out looking after um, aged and um, vulnerable members of the community in their homes. Uh, librarians continue to deliver books to residents um, and look after people's mental health. And we had our parks and gardens and waste and streets people all continuing to keep our communities safe, um, out and about. Um, when everyone was scared about catching the virus, they continue to work and continue to look after the community. As long as um, all the other support staff who adjusted all their activities um, working from home. And, you know, we want to see councils really value that work, appreciate it, like the community does. Um, and part of that is by um, improving their wages and conditions. Okay, so you've taken, uh, they've stopped work from 1pm to, for today. Well, the operations centre staff, parks and gardens, maintenance, waste, street sweepers, they stopped work, they've stopped work at, um, from this morning, so they've been off all day. Uh, and the rest of the staff have stopped from 1 o'clock this afternoon. I'm told that um, all but the Glenroy Library is open. All the rest of the libraries across the municipality have been shut down and all the staff are here. So let's, let's get on to the libraries. We're talking about uh, wanting a, a, a proper span, a regular span of hours. Explain that. Yep. So library start, libraries, as people would know, work weekends and uh, on weekends. And at night and yep. very early. And yep. Yes, that's right. You should get penalty rates. Unfortunately, the library workers at City of Moreland are not treated like all the other workers at Council and they do not get the same penalty rates. So um, what we're asking for is them to be treated the same as everybody else at Council and get the penalty rates for working weekends and um, late nights. How did that happen? I don't know. No I don't idea. Know. I don't know how that happened, um, but we're trying to fix it. Yeah, right. Okay. And uh, there are 40 outstanding uh, uh, sections of the agreements that you want looked at. Can you give us some idea of what that means? Oh, look, there's a whole range of things, um, additional allowances, changes to the paid parental leave arrangements, um, stuff around bullying and harassment, 
um, just to name a few, but you know they sort of go to different parts of the work. You know, local government is a really diverse workforce, and there's you know more than um, 200 different kinds of jobs done in the sector. So some of them are quite specific to the work. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. And also uh, the um, how are negotiations going? Obviously, if we're out on the street, they're not going very well. But um, is this a? Do you need them to actually? Um, become more uh, open-handed? Well, we, you know, we'd love to um, get back to the negotiating table and um, see if we can sort this out. Uh, I'm hopeful that following today's action um, that management will see that our members are committed to continuing to fight for a better deal and what they think is on offer doesn't cut the mustard. And so we're ready, willing and able to keep negotiating so that we can reach something that's acceptable to everybody. Do you, do you find that the local councils are surprised that, uh, because, uh, that uh, workers are becoming so concerned and are taking to the union to negotiate these outcomes because they are the people who deliver the services to the local communities and have uh, in the past been very, um, you know, uh, I suppose able to be pushed around? Yeah, look, um, I think our members have been really heartened that the support from the local community and the public has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and I think what this does is it shines a light on perhaps what people take for granted about what our members do every day to make people's lives better, whether it's keeping the streets clean, safe and tidy, or you know, um, safe places for people to learn and um, socialise and um, gather like libraries or um, have them being looked after in their homes. Like it's only when those things go wrong that people think, oh, well, what's going on here? Um, and perhaps this will give a new appreciation for all of these members of ours who, without their hard work, we would not have such beautiful places to live. Thanks. So, uh, are you a, a Moreland resident? Yes, I live in Brunswick West. And so you're here in support of the workers? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen so much activity on social media in the last few weeks. Lots of residents saying they support the workers. Some people suggesting they need to clean up the mess and others saying, no way, don't break the picket. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's very unfair, isn't it, that uh, the uh, negotiations don't appear to be um, showing how important these workers are? I think that's right. I think we see the rate of inflation is massive this year and the pay rise they're asking for is reasonable. They need to feed their families and, you know, what we're seeing is the council stonewalling that. It's not good enough. And, you know, my daughter and I use the local library, the Campbell Turnbull. The staff are brilliant and we want to make sure that they can remain in their jobs. Thank you very much. I'm going to hand it over now to a couple of our delegates to speak to you
have walked out from work and we are foregoing and we are foregoing pay today to fight for better paying conditions for all workers. How quickly we went from essential to expendable. We were essential throughout the pandemic, providing essential services to our community. But now, now we're expendable. Now we're not worth a fair pay rise. Now we're not worth decent conditions that protect our health and safety. We're not worth that anymore. Yes, you are. <laughs> so thank you for showing up and showing that we are essential, not expendable. Just before I pass over to Brett, our next delegate, uh, who's here from the Moreland Council Depot, I want to give a shout out to our members up at the depot. There's not a huge amount of them here, and the reason for that is they've been standing on a picket line at the Moreland Depot since about 3 o'clock this morning, absolutely holding fast. <laughs> They've been standing there shoulder to shoulder with their comrades uh, across the ASU, blocking every gate to the depot, making sure none of the uh, contractors that council have been calling in to do their work can get in or out. So here's here again for the depot, passing across the board. Yeah, I'd like to say um, I've been here for City of Brunswick, City of Moreland, on the 29th of March 1984, that's when I started. Right? I've seen Jeff Kennett with his um, competitive tendering cuts. Right, we worked through that. We beat him. Right. I've seen a two-year pandemic with COVID, where we turned up every day and soldiered up and looked after our community. And I've been here where our management thought that their staff was their best asset, right? We're going to send them a message that we're still their best asset and they need to pay us what we deserve. Now, from my point of view, I look here and I see my comrades. We're a community and we're a community ready to fight. Right? Here's for solidarity and good on you. So the next person we've got speaking, and we're very, very happy to have her here, is one of the council... And you just heard from some speakers at a rally at uh, Moreland Council. So these are workers, uh, the ASU and MWU members at the Moreland Council, who downed tools on Wednesday, May 4th, to rally for decent wages and conditions. And that audio was recorded by Solidarity Breakfast's Annie McLaughlin, who joined them outside the Brunswick Town Hall on Sydney Road. Uh, thank you very much to Annie for that excellent recording. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855. 5 a.m. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. 
We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Huawei's Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Huawei's Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we are now joined by Alec, who's a Lebanese-Australian socialist activist at Melbourne University, involved in Students for Palestine and Free Palestine Melbourne. And Alec is joining us to discuss the recent BDS motion passed by the University of Melbourne Student Student Union, or UMSU. And just a disclosure here, I am also a University of Melbourne student. Uh, I did sign this petition. I'm a graduate student at Melbourne Uni, so I'm also really excited to be speaking with Alec about this today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess to, to start off with, could you tell us a little bit more about the uh, the recent motion, AMSU Stands with Palestine, BDS and Solidarity Policy, and what this actually outlines um, before we jump into more of the substantive discussion about the backlash? Um, yeah, so yeah, this motion was um, drafted up by the People of Colour Department at um, Melbourne University. And, um, yeah, basically it declares that the student union stands against the Israeli occupation of Palestine and condemns the ongoing ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. And it also supports the self-determination of the Palestinian people and their right to engage in armed struggle against their occupiers. And it recognises Zionism as a racist colonial ideology and that Zionism should not be conflated with Judaism. Um, The motion calls on the university to boycott Israeli institutions that contribute to the oppression of Palestinians. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's that's the motion. Yeah, I mean, and for, for people that are familiar with the University of Melbourne and um, I guess with, um, I, well, I mean, I guess with the institution as a whole, it is pretty significant to have students come out and, and make such a much such a strong statement as Melbourne, uh, sorry, as, uh, oh, let me start that again, via their involvement in the student union, um, which is really exciting to see, um, you know, such a strong stance being taken. But of course, uh, you know, responses from the university have been lackluster at best. Uh, we have heard that students involved in putting this together have reportedly been subject to bullying and harassment, including during the meeting where this motion was passed. Now, can you share a bit about the intimidation and harassment um, that students have been facing, including um, accusations of anti-Semitism, which, of course, uh, as outlined in the policy, you know, there's a clear distinction drawn between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, solidarity, like Palestine solidarity motions have been passed before. Um, I think the context here is also important. Um, you know, there have been hundreds of more uh, arrests and attacks at the Al-Aqsa Mosque during Ramadan, um, just over the last month. Um, just now, there's the announcement of, um, you know, eight villages will be uh, destroyed in the West Bank and over 1,000 Palestinians expelled, which is the biggest mass expulsion since 1967. So, 
you know, the motion comes at a time when there is basically a renewed wave of aggression by Israel. And I think that's why it's, um, yeah, you know, uh, received this backlash. So basically, um, you know, around 70 Zionists um, showed up to the Students' Council meeting where the motion was debated. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, you know, put forward all of the um, arguments defending defending Israel's treatment of Palestinians, like it's a complicated issue. Uh, you know, um, Palestinians, you know, don't have the right to the land. Um, all the sort of the the classic arguments used to justify the way Palestinians are treated by Israel. Um, the the POC officers themselves have received um, have experienced harassment by various Zionist groups um, from inside and outside of the university, as well as some student unionists uh, who have ties to the Australian Labor Party, which is, you know, um, interesting because, well, obviously the Labor Party supports Israel as well. You know, there's been um, threatening and intimidating emails um, and even, yeah, people coming to their office, um, you know, um, basically harassing them throughout, um, yeah, in the uh, following the the motion being passed. Now, as for the response of the university, well, it's been pretty um, bad, basically. The response, the university put out a statement denouncing the motion as anti-Semitic, which is, again, that's the same argument that um, is used by supporters of Israel to silence any discussion on actually standing in solidarity with Palestinian people when they face this severe oppression, you know? Um, yeah. The, um, you know, I think that really this is hardly surprising though. Like the university actually has direct ties with a weapons manufacturing company, um, called Lockheed Martin, which is one of the world's biggest weapons manufacturers and supplies, you know, equipment to Israel to oppress Palestinians. Um, so yeah, I think that the, the university has no interest in, um, you know, taking the taking up these questions of social justice and supporting the right of its students to, you know, be activists and, um, you know, protecting their free speech when they um, try and stand up for these issues. Um, and that, I guess, points to why we need strong student unions and, yeah, people, you know, like student activists to take up uh, take up these issues themselves in their unions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is this is something that I think, um, you know, we've seen before at the university around the questions uh, about whose free speech counts, about, uh, you know, whose safety on campus counts. And, uh, you know, they have there have been suggestions made that this makes Jewish students feel unsafe. But, of course, there are, uh, you know, a huge number of Jewish people that are in solidarity with, uh, w you know, with the Palestinian people in terms of freedom, for uh, freedom from occupation um, and also doesn't necessarily take into account the safety of Palestinian students on campus, which I think is really important um, to, to center in this. Um, so... You know, staff members at universities across Australia have shared their support with uh, the students that have been involved in this motion. And um, there was a piece written by Jordi Silverstein and Janine Harani in Overland, which outlines some concerns and key demands, um, you know, from staff members that have expressed this solidarity. Can you talk a bit more about, uh, yeah, about solidarity across universities and also about staff-student solidarity when it comes to speaking out uh, for a free Palestine? Yeah, absolutely. 
um, yeah, you know, I think it's, it was really um, great to see that statement put out in Overland, um, you know, written by Geordie and Janine, uh, signed on to you by lots and lots of academics from Melbourne University, from other universities around Victoria and Australia. Um, yeah, because, you know, it's, it's, it is true. Like solidarity is, um, a really important way to, um, you know, to, to push these issues forwards. Um, it's, 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 you know, we want, we, we hope that by, by passing a motion like this at our university, that that will be taken up at other universities um, across the country, and already it has. Uh, at Sydney University, there was a similar motion passed following the one at Melbourne University, um, you know, and, like, we want that to keep happening because that's a really important way of normalising solidarity and actually, um, you know, yeah, making it something that people can, can you know, do without facing such intense backlash, you know, um, and being silenced out of standing in solidarity with Palestine. And obviously it goes the other way as well. Um, there are many cases where academics have been disciplined, have in fact been fired and lost their job for, you know, vocally voicing their solidarity with Palestine. Um, and, you know, student unions can have a role to play in supporting those staff and those academics when they stand up for, you know, um, social justice issues, stand up for Palestine um, as well. So, yeah, solidarity is, um, yeah, solidarity between staff and students and between, you know, universities is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like that you've sort of emphasized the two-way relationship there um, because, you know, uh, we, we see this worldwide, um, you know, with academics in universities across, you know, the UK, the US and Australia who have expressed uh, severe consequences for expressing solidarity, uh, sorry, who have experienced severe consequences for expressing solidarity with Palestine. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, just just on the question of free speech, I also, you know, it's been playing in the back of my mind, uh, the um, killing of Shireen Abu-Aqsa Abu, um, um, yesterday. And, you know, as a, as a journalist, this is just so important to, to keep front of mind when we are thinking about these things. You know, this, these violences are ongoing. Uh, they're impossible to ignore. They're happening every day. And um, I know that there is an upcoming Free Palestine Nakba Campus Speakout that's happening today at the University of Melbourne. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going to be happening there and potentially about uh, any links and lead on into Nakba Day, which is this Sunday? Um, yes, that's right. Yes, there is uh, at one o'clock today at Melbourne University on South Lawn. Um, you know, Students for Palestine are organising a yeah a speak out um, in solidarity with Palestine and also um, you know to link it to the Nakba Day, which is um, this Sunday. The Nakba Day is the fifteenth of May, and that basically commemorates um, you know the Nakba, which is the 1948, um, you know, mass dispossession of over 750,000 Palestinians and, you know, thousands killed, um, people forced for generations to live in refugee camps, um, which was actually the creation of the State of Israel, you know. Um, that was, it was a violent process of ethnic cleansing, basically, um, and it still continues to this day through the construction of new settlements and all of that, um, so, yeah, so that, so the Nakba Day is to, you know, remember, um, commemorate, 
you know, the resistance of Palestinian fighters throughout the last 74 years of resistance and to, um, you know, to to try and build solidarity movements and have, um, yeah, you know, have more more actions and things like that. So, um, yeah, so at, so we'll, so we're having one, a speak out on campus at one o'clock today. And, um, then this Sunday at one o'clock as well at the state library, there is a, um, a vigil organized by Free Palestine Melbourne. Um, you know, and I invite people to come to the, the speak out today at Melbourne Uni to come to the, um, the, the vigil at the State Library on Sunday, you know, come to both if you can. <laughs> um, the more the better. Um, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much, Alec. And for people uh, that are planning on attending the Melbourne Uni event today, where on campus should they join you? Um, yeah, it's at South Lawn. Um, it's just the big grassy area, basically. Um, yeah. All right, excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this this morning, Alec. Really timely and... Um, Uh, Wishing you all the best with those actions. Thank you so much. And you're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we were just joined by Alec, who's a Lebanese-Australian socialist activist at Melbourne University, involved in Students for Palestine and Free Palestine Melbourne. And Alec spoke with us about a motion that was recently passed by the University of Melbourne Student Union, or UMSU, in support of BDS, or boycott, divestment, and sanctions of the Israeli state for uh, its ongoing violations of human rights and occupation of Palestinian territory. And again, repeating that disclosure from before, I am a student at the University of Melbourne and have also signed on to this petition. Um, As Alec mentioned, there is that Speak Out event happening today, and there's also the Nakba Day vigil that is happening on Sunday. So we'll have further links to those in our show notes and really encourage people to get along to at least one, but preferably both if you can. Join Free Palestine Melbourne in remembering the Nakba at a vigil at the State Library at 12 midday on Sunday the 15th of May. Nakba means catastrophe in Arabic and commemorates the displacement and ethnic cleansing of more than 700,000 Palestinians from their homes to create the State of Israel in 1948. The Nakba continues with refugees from 1948 still living in refugee camps and more Palestinians being displaced as Israeli settlements continue to be built on stolen Palestinian land. The event will include naming and acknowledging many of the towns and villages destroyed by Israel. Nakba Day Vigil, midday, Sunday, the 15th of May, on the steps of the State Library of Victoria. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter.
And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we might just jump into one more track before we rack up. Uh, rack up? Wrap up. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Really having a day. Um, this is Don't Sleep by Alice Ivy, Imby, and Boy. Back on Thursday morning breakfast, 3CR 855 AM. And that was Alice Ivy, Imby, and Boy with, oh my goodness, I've forgotten the song name. Don't sleep. There we go. <laughs> um, yes, it is really that kind of a day. Thank you so much for everyone's patience with us. We had some issues with the phones, but we got there in the end. And thanks to our wonderful interviewees. Um, 
Inez, do you want to kick us off with this rundown? Absolutely, I do. I would be so honoured. Firstly, we heard uh, from Chloe and Jacob, who spoke with Joey, who's one of the detainees at um, MITA, about the Section 501 of the Migration Act, which actually allows government visa cancellation powers and how and showed how the government is actually using these powers. Uh, It's a very important interview. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And after that, we heard from Elise Armand, a lawyer at the Villamata Disability Rights Legal Service, and she joined us today to speak about the large spike in NDIS participants who've had their funding slashed in recent months. Yeah, absolutely. And after that, uh, we heard from... Many, uh, sorry, from workers at the Moreland Council who downed tools on Wednesday the 4th of May to rally for decent wages and conditions. And this was recorded by Solidarity Breakfast's Annie McLaughlin, who joined them outside the Brunswick Town Hall on Sydney Road at their strike action. So some excellent speeches there talking about, yeah, the rights of council workers to fair remuneration and fair working conditions. And then lastly, we were just joined by Alec Ferguson, a Lebanese-Australian uh, social activist at uh, Melbourne University. And they joined us today to discuss the recent BDS motion passed by the University of Melbourne Student Union. Um, and just plugging that the Nakba Day vigil is on Sunday and also there is action either today or tomorrow at Melbourne University. Uh, That is on today. And once again, I'll repeat my disclosure from before, where I am a student at the University of Melbourne, just to clear up any confusion about that. And this is a really important motion that is being passed uh, in support of BDS, uh, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. And uh, yes, that event is happening today at the University of Melbourne. It is a rally organized by students in support of Palestine. And um, let me see. It is going to be at uh, South Lawn today, I believe, at 12 p.m., and there are going to be a couple of speakers there engaged in the Nakba Speakout, um, so joining Students for Palestine to remember 74 years since al-Nakba, uh, or the catastrophe when Zionist militias destroyed 500 villages and forcibly expelled over a million Palestinians to establish the State of Israel. And um, they'll be talking about things including forced evictions that are ongoing in Sheikh Jarrah, and, um, yeah, making it known that University of Melbourne students stand with Palestinians in the campus speak out. So there'll be a, a couple of excellent speakers, encourage people to get to that, and also to the Nakba Day rally or vigil at the State Library of Victoria this Sunday, the 15th of May at 1 p.m. Anything else we wanted to plug before wrapping up? Oh, actually, uh, yes. The, with the NDIS um, and election issues, uh, there have been a lot of talks about, um, you know, it is unsustainable and it's going rapidly, um, but it's important that it's an election issue and uh, knowing that, you know, to look for these interviews and also look at disability advocates um, and, you know, places like Villamanta that are putting out accurate information every day um, and understanding, yeah, that they are people and uh, not just an insurance investment scheme. Absolutely. And there's going to be an action next week uh, with Every Australian Count, so you can head to their social media. That's at Every Australian on Twitter to find out more information. I believe it is next Thursday, and hopefully we'll have more information for you uh, with next week's show. But that will be in Melbourne Thursday, the 19th of May from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. And it's a march from 367 Collins Street to 15 William Street in the Melbourne CBD And that's all we've got for today on Thursday Morning Breakfast. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop.
Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.